0: Welcome to The Answer Key, learning and leadership in the K-12 world. Today's podcast begins with a simple question. If computer technology has transformed global communication and commerce, can it also transform teaching and learning to prepare students for the future? Stay with us and learn about FCPS on a one-to-one digital transformation that extends student learning and embraces teacher innovation. You're listening to The Answer Key Learning and Leadership in the K 12 World. Let's begin this episode with a little background. In Fairfax County Public Schools, students are using digital devices to have greater control over the time, pace, path, and place of their learning. It's called FCPS On. Still in the pilot stage, the goal of FCPS On is student achievement. Today's guest is Margaret Sissler. She is an experienced teacher, a coach, a go-to gal, professional development advocate, and proud techie. Hence, her handle, at Techie Margaret, thanks for stopping by and sharing some of your thoughts about instructional innovation and student success. I'm so glad you're here.
1: I'm so excited to be here, too.
0: Can you give us a little bit more information about FCPSON? What is it?
1: So FCPSON is a digital transformation of teaching and learning. And it's happening in the Chantilly Pyramid Schools, which is six elementary schools, two middle schools in our high school, as well as six uh, other high schools around the county. Every student in these schools has equal access to both a computer and internet access at home and at school. Um, And that's really important. This provides a consistent tool in the teacher's toolbox when planning lessons, when thinking of what activity will help their students best learn the material. Every student having access to this this device is critical Um, and it's been really exciting it's year two for us Um, we've been doing this all of last year it was sort of a a leap of faith as we took this on um, figuring out a lot of logistics as we go Um, but it's been super exciting and the work that our teachers and our students are doing is really really powerful the the conversations we hear and the work we see them creating just just is so elevated with the introduction of a consistent access to tools. So let's talk about transformation
0: a little bit more. So when you see all those things going on in the classroom,
1: is that what you mean by transformation? So if you think about what high school learning was like just a few years ago or even a few a, a while ago, it hadn't changed much. Um, Classrooms had started to change in some of our lower grades, but we really didn't see much shifting in our high schools. Um, It still was very teacher-centered, which means the teacher is the owner of the knowledge and gives that to the students. Um, Students sat in rows typically, Um, students were listening, they may have been taking notes, um, but they were passively absorbing the information. Now what we're seeing more of is an active student-centered classroom where students are exploring and researching and making meaning of the content um, and presenting it to their classmates and creating new products. It might be a presentation, it might be a podcast like this, it might be um, a movie that they make, making sense of the knowledge that they're learning. Um, And that student-centered environment is full of student conversation, it's full of creativity and critical thinking, evaluating the sources that we look at, and we're seeing really great gains with our students because they'll say things like, this is the first time that it makes sense to me, or, yeah, I really, I I had done that before, but I had forgotten it all, but now I remember it because we did X, Y, or Z with it, and it's been really exciting to see a change.
0: So is it also transformative for teachers, and if so, how? transformative. What does that look like?
1: Absolutely, and it's hard work. Um, Teachers are really putting in a lot of work to think about how they might design a lesson to give students those opportunities. We know what we've done. We know how we learned, but thinking about something that we may have never seen before is hard, and it takes going out and visiting other schools and other classrooms. It takes reading articles about things teachers are doing other places. It takes interacting and trying something and maybe it not going perfectly the first time till we can reflect on it and iterate until we get a better product. Um, There are going to be things that our teachers do and there are things that our teachers do that should have worked really well and suddenly didn't. And it's a great time to reflect and learn. Um, We have a saying that uh, Principal Steve Coco in Baltimore County Public Schools said to us when we were getting started on this journey, he said, "It's okay to be where you are. It's just not okay to stay there." And so that became sort of a mantra for our teachers. And when you walk down the hall, you'll hear them say this over and over. "It's okay to be where I am. I just can't stay there. So I have to keep growing." And it's been really energizing. Um, we've seen we've seen a difference in attendance, both for teachers and for students, in our FCPs on schools. We've seen a positive increase in attendance. Um, and that and teachers will say periodically, "You know, this is." jazzed me up again, or I'm excited about planning for what comes next. Uh, and that that is really exciting. I think that's the fun in what we're doing every day.
0: You're listening to The Answer Key, learning and leadership in the K-12 world. My name is Sandra Brennan, and I'm speaking with school-based technology specialist, Margaret Sissler. We're talking about a pilot program called FCPS on. Traditionally, teachers work within a variety of learning models. It might be the workshop model. It might be the five E's. What is that way that they now incorporate technology to enliven or maintain the model, but they're
1: now weaving in different things? So always, teachers have taken the resources they have and woven them into the model that they're working on. Now, technology is one of those tools that's always available. When I was in school, technology was a special event. Up until a few years ago, it was still a special event. We went to a lab, we did a special lesson on computers or using some sort of technology. Now it's just part of the de- the daily classroom. It's just like having a pencil or air in your classroom because it's part of it and it's there every day. Um, and so now it becomes one of those things that I can consider as a tool without worrying, is it gonna be charged? Is it going to be available? Am I gonna go to the lab and someone's using it for testing and I can't get in and now my lesson plan's shot? So now it becomes since every kid has access, it becomes something that's an option all the time now. And that means it's even more important to make the choice of whether it's the best tool for the job. There are a lot of tools to choose from and we talk over and over in all of our professional learning about making the choice and providing students choice because There are lots of tools to pick from, and you have to make sure you're choosing it because it's the best tool, not because it's the coolest or because it's new or because it's what everybody else is using. But we have to choose it because it provides us something that we didn't have otherwise.
0: What exactly does every student uh, acquire?
1: So our students all have HP ProBooks, which is a Windows 10 um, computer. It's a lightweight, rugged laptop. It holds up really well to the stress of a ninth through twelfth grader or even a third grader putting it in their backpack every day. So we all have these computers, but the work really started about three years before we were chosen as the pilot pyramid for FCPS On. We started doing um, a school wide focus on relationship building and critical thinking and developing professional learning opportunities for our teachers on those two tracks. So that started us already working on the, how do you build relationships with your students? How do you work collaboratively with colleagues in other departments? Um, And how does that impact the work we do in our classrooms with our kids? Those relationships allowed us to be open when the the hard work really came along. Then we were focusing on critical thinking. So that started us on the path of project-based learning and inquiry-based learning where students are really thinking and evaluating what they're doing. Because we had those pieces in place, when we put in our application for to, to be the pilot program or pilot pyramid for FCPS On, we were chosen, among other reasons. But that was one of the measures of readiness. Um, and we we had things in place already for this structure. We've redesigned our professional learning in the last three or four years, um, and we're undergoing a redesign again again this year to address some of the needs of our teachers that we're not meeting. So we started building in teacher choice. Teachers were asked to present uh, on something they were doing and that was making a difference in their classroom. So teachers led the sessions. Other teachers chose what session to attend, something that would impact the learning in their classroom. Our sessions aren't focused on a tool. It's not like, oh, here's a session on Google Docs. We do a session on uh, formative assessment, but maybe talk about two or three tools that can help you give great feedback or assess your students in there. So focusing it on the instructional strategy is key.
0: Give us a, a glimpse of what it's like and how you organize this ongoing conversation among colleagues.
1: So we have a couple of different things happening. One, we have these sessions that teachers present, and those happen on every school planning day. So that's about four to five times a year, depending on the calendar that's set for us. We also have learning walks, which is where teachers go and visit and observe each other. And our teachers are expected to do four learning walks a year. They go visit four different classrooms and check out what's going on. There's always a focus when you go in to look for, students creating some sort of product, student feedback. Um, Last year we were looking for student engagement and uh, student-centered spaces.
0: Now does this happen within Chantilly or are you going to other pilot
1: schools or both? For the most part, our learning walks happen inside the building. But in some cases, we needed to go visit other places to really kind of expand our thinking. And so we visited a middle school in Loudoun County. We visited several different high schools in within Fairfax. We visited Greenbrier West Elementary to check out how elementary students were doing with student-centered classroom spaces. And that was sort of an eye-opening moment for my teachers who felt, um, that their students weren't quite ready for this. When we saw six-year-olds doing it, suddenly we had a different, a different view of things. It it really makes it um, real. These kids are our students, our Chantilly kids, are experiencing this in every grade level, all the way up. So FCPS on is in our whole pyramid, which means every elementary school, middle school, and high school, and that means our students are coming expecting school to be different when they get to us and that's a that's a real challenge that's an impetus to change and um, we want to meet that challenge we want our kids thinking more we want them creating and that's what we're doing
0: what are the challenges whether it's uh, technical or just the way one
1: manages workflow so we started this last year sort of going into it with eyes wide open knowing there were gonna be challenges anytime you're first to do something. Um, It changed the work in our school, the support model in our school um, a lot because students are expecting this device to be functional every day in every moment. Um, and that means if it goes down, they need to get a replacement device, a loaner, and get back to class as quickly as possible. So we had to figure out what that model would look like. There are 2,800, uh, almost 2,800 students in our building, and how do you support that many students at all times of the day? Um, and so we had to sort of figure that out. That was definitely a rocky place um, in the beginning of the year last year being, there were days when we would have 75 to 80 students swing through the office, and that meant you were interrupted about every four minutes by a student coming in, which is hard to accomplish all the other things on our plates, um, but we've we've worked through some of that. We have a wonderful, robust tech aid program where we have high school students who intern with us. Um, they take it as an elective credit, and they help us support their classmates, which is tremendous. Um, Another challenge we had last year was fear. Um, Something new like this comes with a lot of fear and a lot of worry about logistics and questions that ranged from, what do we do if kids forget their computers? To, are we gonna blow all the fuses if we plug things in? And are we gonna run up a huge electric bill? Um, And those questions were widespread. I mean, they covered everything from oh, that's a great one, I hadn't thought of that, too. I can't believe you just thought of asking me that question. But we answered every single question that came along, um, and that allayed a lot of fears. We also weren't afraid to say, we're not quite sure yet, and we need to figure that out. Um, I think that made this approachable. We were all on this journey together, working it out along the way. They knew, our teachers and our students knew we weren't gonna leave them hanging. We might need to come back to it and solve it later, but we weren't gonna leave them hanging. We, we had built that relationship and that trust so that they knew we had their best interest at heart uh, when we needed a little more time to figure something out. Um, I think another challenge is time. It's always a challenge in schools. Um, and the workload, thinking of redesigning every lesson, is a huge undertaking for teachers, um, and that's a that's a big ask, um, because oftentimes we rely on something we've done in the past, we tweak it for this year's students, but we have a, a framework, and now we were asking for a whole different framework. Start with a completely different frame to even begin filling, and. One of the things that helped us last year overcome that obstacle, which could have been a a stuck point that that we really couldn't overcome, was we set our theme for the year as just one. So our principal made the, the statement at the opening and at every meeting along the way. Remember, you're you're just asked to make one meaningful change in your classroom this year and that made it approachable. It was oftentimes one and then another and then another. We saw all year long change, but teachers felt like they had permission to just focus on one thing and do it really well. Really well. So when it comes to technology in the classroom or online resources, it doesn't have to happen all the time. Absolutely, so technology for technology's sake just to check off a box that you're using it doesn't do anyone any good. What we really want is meaningful use of technology. When it has an added value to use a technology tool versus a a standard tool that you might have used, that's when we want you to make that choice and use that. And the same thing is, We're trying to show our students the same thing, too, because they're moving into a world where they will have access to a ton of tools, and they have to make that choice of what is the best tool for them. And so helping them see that sometimes this is the better choice and sometimes it's not is really important. We don't have a number of minutes every day that kids are using the computers. It varies from day to day, from class to class, from teacher to teacher. Um, Rarely do you see a kid on a computer for a whole block of time, for 90 minutes. It just doesn't happen because our goal is to use the tool when it's the best tool. So I had a conversation with a teacher yesterday afternoon about Padlet and Post-it Notes, and when we choose one versus the other. So Padlet is a tool, it's an online tool that is a lot like a bulletin board that you can put Post-it Notes on and organize and kind of think about your thinking. Multiple kids can use that same board, so you're gathering ideas from the whole class. And so we had the conversation of when do I use that versus Post-it notes. Post-it notes seem to get the job done, do the exact same thing. Kids can all be gathered around a desk or a table, put their ideas down and we can sort them into into, um, main ideas. So we had the conversation of what does Padlet add that Post-its can't do? Well, you can attach a video, you can attach music, you can attach a link to a website, you can cite your source and have it right there. If there's a time when that's what's needed, then that's when you use Padlet. If you're just brainstorming ideas, perhaps post-it notes that can physically move around are fine to use, and that's the best choice. I use both. There are times when I put things on Padlet, and there are times when I use post-its, and it's really about being a thoughtful designer of the learning activities that our kids are doing. Can you explain how HyperDocs work? So HyperDocs, is really all about using Google Docs, which is part of the G Suite, um, and using that as a frame for containing lesson ideas. So it's more than a worksheet because it provides some choice and some critical and creative thinking in there. It could often be if we put things that are on paper just in a Google Doc, it just becomes a digital worksheet, but a HyperDoc allows for students to Um, really interact with the content differently. HyperDocs were developed by three educators from California, Lisa Heifel, Sarah Landis, and Kelly Hilton. They came up with this idea and then started sharing, and teachers were going crazy for it. So these educators have written a book, they've published blog posts, they interact on social media, and they've become really... Gurus of this new way of designing learning activities, Uh, and it's been a great jumping off point for a lot of teachers it's friendly and um, gives you a place to start What are your favorite apps some of the favorite apps that you like to share uh, with your teachers? So I think it really depends on what teachers are looking for because I could say what my favorite app is, but if that teacher doesn't have a purpose for it, it doesn't do them any good. And so it really depends. Um, Just this week, a couple of the ones that I've shared and worked with teachers on, um, I've used Adobe Spark a lot. Adobe Spark has the opportunity for um, students to create posts, which which are images. So a lot of times teachers will use this to have students do memes or other um, interesting ways to remember vocabulary. So they might create a meme about whatever they're studying in history, and then suddenly they, all, they have the class full of memes that they can use to study from, and that's kind of fun. It's a great graphic creator. Um, there's also the ability to create videos and web pages in Adobe Spark. So it has a lot of variety that teachers can use with just about any content. Um, But again, it's all about the purpose. Another um, application that I'm loving right now is Flipgrid, and Flipgrid is a website that allows for short video recordings, and I'm seeing it used a ton of different ways in our school. Um, Students are reacting to what they've read and recording a little bit of information there. A counselor used it to have her freshman group introduce themselves and get to know each other, and it's a little bit, Uh, safer than some other things because students don't have to be perfect the first time. If you record and you mess up and you stutter through and want to redo it again, stumbling over your words like I do a lot, then they just rewind it and record again until they get what they're looking for. Um, And it gives them a place to come back to. Um, We have a lot of new staff members this year. We did a, a Flipgrid at the beginning of the year with some introductions and getting started with our positivity project. And this was awesome because I now have a name and a face for every new staff member. We have over 300 staff and so uh, 30 new ones to learn is a lot. And I learned them much quick, much more quickly this year because I had quick access and could peek back in. And I've got everybody's name and face down now. Somehow that doesn't
0: surprise me. (laughs) We talked about the Hyper Doc girls out in California, and then there is uh, Matt Miller who has a blog, he's also
1: an educator. What kind of tips are, are you sharing or learning about? I would say that what has changed for me being connected on social media is that I now have resources everywhere. I have a pool of educators that I follow and interact with regularly that if I'm stuck I can ask for advice or ask a question. Um, when I first started teaching, I was alone in my classroom. If you were struggling with something, you could Google it, you could ask the teacher next door, but that wasn't guaranteed that you had someone who had even experienced what you were trying to do, especially if you're trying something new. And now I have hundreds and hundreds of educators around the world that I'm connected with, that I can throw a question out there. I can learn from what they're doing and reflect on it and figure out how to take that and tweak it from what my students need. Um, It's really, really incredibly empowering. Uh, What I love about being connected on social media is everybody is equal. It doesn't matter if you've published a book or you haven't. It doesn't matter if you regularly blog or you don't. Everyone is so willing to help and jump in um, and support you and get to know you. And that's been really, really cool educators on social media, especially on Twitter, um, are really a force to be reckoned with. There are regular Ed Chats where you can connect with these educators who are also excited about something. One of our teachers just came in this week and she's really excited. She's been part of a Lang Chat, which is World Languages, teachers connecting on social media on, I believe it's on Tuesday night they chat. And so they get together and are actually planning to get together in person Um, in a couple of years, they're trying to plan a large conference. And it's educators who are just connecting and wanting to talk more with their colleagues who are doing the great work. So she came in and brought me a mug that has the Lang Chat logo on it, just as a quick reminder that she's connected and all these things are happening and she's getting great ideas from her Lang Chat buddies. I feel the same with my Tosa Chat friends. Tosa is teacher on special assignment and it's often what a tech coach or an SBITS is called in California and other parts of the country and I'm connected with these educators. They chat Monday night really late because they're West Coast time, and I'm usually in bed by then, but I'm connected with them on Voxer, which is a voice social media, and on Twitter, and then meet up with them when we're at national conferences. And they have been so supportive as we've moved into one-to-one, as we've had challenges of distribution. I've been able to ask questions and help, have them help me think through a challenge. It's been really, really awesome. So a little bit of a sidebar.
0: So I know that you facilitate Nova Chat, Nova Ed Chat. Yes. Tell me a little bit about Nova Ed Chat and how, as a facilitator, what are you thinking about when you post questions or that whole discussion on on Twitter
1: about? the teaching practice so nova ed chat is a weekly ed chat which means there's educators on twitter all using the same hashtag having a conversation Um, it started about three and a half years ago some of us here in fairfax decided we needed a chat that was really focused on what we were trying to do what we were We were seeing other parts of the country connect, and we really wanted to build those connections. So um, I've stuck with it all these years, and every week we pose questions on a topic. We're always centered on a topic for that week. Um, We try to be inclusive, our educators are wide-ranging, everyone from elementary, primary grades, through, through college even, we have some college professors that join us. And we try to be inclusive when we write questions. So this week we are talking about transformation of learning in our schools. Last week we talked about blended learning. And so we try to open it up to provide an opportunity for educators to share what they're doing and also ask for help when things are rocky. Um, because somebody else has been there, and this is the place to get support. And so we have educators, like I said, from around the country that join us, and people pop in one week, and maybe not for a couple, but we're always there on Wednesday nights from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.
0: Okay, I'll try to tune in. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. My name is Sandra Brennan, and I'm talking with school-based technology specialist Margaret Sisler. Margaret, in our remaining time, let's recap. FCPS ON is a pilot program. It is an opportunity for school children, K-12, to have access to a laptop at home and school. It relies on continuous professional development. Now tell us about assessment efforts. Is Johns Hopkins University assessing the program? That's correct. What's What's the early feedback? Can you comment uh, about their observations or what those assessments are so we know that it's just not a kid with a, with a hearty, solid new piece of tech in their
1: backpack? It's not just that excitement. Um, What we're seeing, and again, it's through the end of year one. We've been evaluated by Johns Hopkins. They're going to follow us through the the next few years. Um, Going into this, we were told we should see test score changes in about three to five years. It takes time to really make that transition, because remember, teachers are learning a different way to teach, students are learning a new way to learn. We should see stability, but not growth right away. Well, we saw some growth right away in several areas, and that was really, really exciting. Um, The other thing that Johns Hopkins really noted was the the strength of the professional learning that our teachers had engaged in um, and how powerful that is for both students and teacher growth, um, that what teachers are learning is translating into the practice in their classroom, and that's exciting. Um, It's more than just sitting in a big lecture hall, learning something, and then going back to your room and doing what you've always done, because it's easier and it's done. Our teachers are really understanding why we're making some change in the classroom, um, and there's time built into our professional learning um, we talk about how teachers are changing. The professional learning that I'm planning for teachers has changed tremendously, too. And I think that speaks to everybody is growing in this process. We take our feedback and our assessment from our teachers and our students, and then we tweak what we're doing, reflect on it change it and make it better always. And that that growth is happening in what teachers are doing and how I'm Providing or engaging teachers with learning—it's not really about me giving them knowledge anymore. It's really they're doing some discovery. They're engaging in the professional learning now, um, and it's, it's really exciting. So we're going to stick with Johns Hopkins and see. They did some, uh, summer they did interviews and surveys with students, teachers, parents, librarians, ESPITs, principals, and got a good, um, wide view of what we're seeing happening. And it's exciting, it's really very positive.
0: Any last thoughts about the um, idea of transformation? You've certainly uh, given me a very good
1: idea of what's happening, any any last thoughts? So I think the work is big and it doesn't end and that's exciting. Um, one of the big ideas is everybody always asks, what's next, what's next? And I I think about, if I could predict, I'd probably be a millionaire, and I would have all the answers, but we don't. What we're doing, though, in this work is equipping our teachers and our kids with the skills to adapt to whatever comes next. It's learning the flexibility that something changes, okay, then I figure it out, and I move on with it, too, and I change with it. That. Flexibility and adaptability is going to serve all of us really, really well as we move into the future. It's not going to be easy. It probably isn't gonna end. There's always gonna be something else on the list, but it's totally worth it. Margaret Sisler, at Techie Margaret. thank you
0: so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This interview is produced by the Department of Information Technology, Fairfax County Public Schools.